0: I didn't know you were going to read that, Nancy. I think it's worth hearing twice, don't you? Yeah. We're in this story, uh, the story of David, and we continue this morning. If you're here for the first time this morning, uh, we are walking through David's life, walking through the story. Now, today's story is an extremely familiar story. Uh, We're going to be in it this week and next week, so two weeks in the story. A lot to cover here. It's one that Christians and non-Christians alike probably know, right? You've probably heard this story before. I'd be surprised if there's anyone in this room who's not heard the story. Malcolm Gladwell, a few years ago, wrote a book called David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. Now, that book is not a Bible story, but it highlights the fact that this is a story of the underdog. In many ways, David and Goliath is kind of the classic underdog story isn't it we often talk about Goliaths in our lives and when we say that everybody knows what we're talking about the story imp- inspires us in some ways to take on the impossible but at the same time the story is not just an inspirational story that motivates us to handle whatever is challenging us in our life today the story is a part of God's story and particularly how he's working in David's life Now, as is often the case with familiar stories, sometimes we don't have much, um, we we kind of just hear it again. We don't think much about it. So let me challenge you today to, to put your ears on and to listen to this story in perhaps a new way and maybe pick up something that you didn't know before. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. You'll want to have that text open in front of you as we read through it together this morning. But before we dive into the text, let me in just a few sentences kind of pull us up to speed Uh, To where we left off last week. Last week you might remember. uh, Saul the king. The spirit of God has left him. And an evil spirit comes to him. And he's dealing with this, this. And he calls in David. To play the lyre or the harp. And David plays for Saul. And Saul is soothed and healed. And God uses this time in David's life, as we talked about last week, to form him into the person that he wants him to be. It's important that we understand uh, David David's uh, relationship to music, and it's a key part of his life. Just after this description, we come to this story. Now, you might be wondering... How old is David now? Where does this fit in in terms of a timeline? And as with any ancient document, there's usually some controversy around it. But most scholars feel like that David was anointed by Samuel somewhere between the ages of 10 to 13 years old. He goes in and out of Saul's palace and back to his field to watch sheep as a young boy. And most scholars believe that when David battles Goliath, he's somewhere between the ages of 15 to 17 So he's not a small boy, but he's certainly very young at this point. With your Bibles open to 1 Samuel chapter 17, let me invite you to read along with me beginning in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sakoth in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephesdamon between Sakah and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah. They drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley between them. So bottom line here is they're in this valley and on one side of the valley stands the Philistine army and on the other side, the army of Israel, Saul's army. And they're not fighting at this point because of one guy. Let's keep reading. Verse four, a champion named Goliath was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor and bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. shield bearer went ahead of him. Now, we read this in the ancient uh, measurement system and we're kind of going, well, how big is that? How tall is that? We really don't understand it. So let's take a few minutes and talk about this. Now, first thing I want to point out is it it, uh, calls Goliath a champion. Now, in our language, we think of a champion as one who's won lots of battles, right? But the word champion in the Hebrew means a single combat fighter. So Goliath is the kind of guy who takes people on one on one and that's what it's saying here so we have God's people on one side we have the Philistines on the other and we have Goliath in the middle challenging for a single combat sort of battle now his shield was large covering his entire body most of his armament is bronze it says except for um, the head of the spear which is iron it's worth noting that this is near the beginning of the Iron Age Um, His his spearhead weighed 600 shekels. You say, well, how much is that? That's about 15 pounds. The coat of mail weighed 5,000 shekels, about 125 pounds. No doubt the Israelites would be intimidated just by the size of the weapon that this guy has. But look how tall he is. It's a six cubit, which is translated to about nine feet, nine inches tall. That's a big guy. Now... Not certain of exactly what was going on with Goliath, but Malcolm Gladwell in his book describes that he may have had a condition, a medical condition, in which... Um, there was a benign tumor on his pituitary gland. Now, I don't know if you've uh, read of Robert Wadlow, but Robert Wadlow is the tallest man to have ever lived. Uh, He lived in Illinois and not too far from where we lived when we lived in Illinois. And when our kids were small, we took them down to Alton, Illinois, and we saw a statue of Robert Wadlow. Uh, Robert Wadlow, at his death, was 8 foot 11 inches tall, and he had this disease that Gladwell is talking about. Um, and it was kind of cool. They had a chair down there. It was one of his chairs, and our kids could climb up in it and sit in it. Uh, But you can get a a sense of how tall this guy was. So maybe Goliath had this particular disease. Maybe that was what was going on with him. But he's huge, and he's not only huge, but he's intimidating. Look at what he's doing in verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. And if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. So let's propose a deal here, uh, Goliath says. Let's do one-on-one battle. And if you guys win, we're your slaves. And if I win, you're our slaves. We continue to read in verse 10 then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. He's he's taunting God's people. In verse 11, we read, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Look at those two words there, dismay. What are we going to do, right? How are we going to handle this? And they're fearful, they're terrified it says now they not only have the philistines not only have the biggest guy they also have the best technology so it's kind of a double whammy there who stands a chance against him now in verse 12 the story shifts to david now david was the son of an ephraimite named jesse who was from bethlehem in judah Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Now, we met Jesse back in chapter 16, but here we're reminded that he's aging and he has eight sons. Verse 13 Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second, Abinadab, and the third, Shema. David was the youngest. It says it again in verse 14. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep. At Bethlehem remember the story last week the harp the music the evil spirit now how long is all this going on verse 16 for 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand now this is where the story gets interesting in verse 17 now Jesse said to his son David take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of the unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They're with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David's job is to simply take some bread and cheese to his brothers. Let's read the account. Verse 20. Early in the morning David left the flock in his care, in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Same sort of deal here. How long has it been happening? For 40 days. Goliath steps out and the Israelites run in fear. Remember, it says they were dismayed and terrified. How are they going to handle the situation? I mean, if somebody foolishly steps out and takes Goliath on and loses, they're all going to be in slavery. At the same time living in fear is not really a viable option either what are they going to do they've been talking about this look at verse 25 and the israelites have been saying do you see how this man keeps coming out he comes out to defy israel the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him He'll also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. They've been thinking about this. They've come up with a plan, kind of an incentive package, if you will, if anybody will go and take on Goliath. It, what does it include? It includes great wealth a king's daughter and no taxes. David inquires, verse 26. David asks the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised philistine that he should defy the armies of the living god you can picture david a young man walking around he's kind of looking at what's going on here he sees goliath he's asking questions do you guys have a plan what's going to happen how's this going to work out now he describes goliath as uncircumcised now this is important word here Because this word circumcised has to do with the covenant of God for the people of God. And David is not simply talking about physical circumcision here. He's also talking about the blessing and presence of God. That The people of God, the circumcised people had the power and authority of God. And yet they're living in fear. They're dismayed. They they seem to have forgotten that they're the people of God. And David is wondering... Why have, why, why have you guys lost it? Why are you guys afraid? Don't you know that you're the circumcised people of God and he's not? And he's calling out, defying God himself. Verse 27, they, they repeated to him what had been said. And told him this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Again, David is doing more than just delivering bread and cheese here. He's trying to understand what's going on. Not only what he will receive if he fights Goliath, but he's also trying to understand why no one is stepping out to do it. And then his big brother comes along in verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men... He burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave these few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now isn't this telling? Can you detect the bitterness in his voice? Remember the brothers had been rejected by Samuel a few years prior. Remember David had been brought in from the field. And he was the one anointed as king. And, and maybe his older brother is a bit resentful, maybe a bit jealous, maybe a bit bitter. Look at what he says to David. He says that David is conceited and wicked in heart. Now, we know this is not true, don't we? In fact, David is humble. And David is a man after God's own heart. these verses give us some insight here into what david must have dealt with growing up right he was the youngest of eight boys and his brothers were not kind to him david comes back in verse 29 now what have i done said david can i even speak he then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter and the men answered him as before david's going around he's talking to different people he's trying to figure out what's going on here And, and he's thinking maybe maybe I could do this maybe God is calling me to do this the king gets word in verse 31 what David said was overheard and reported to Saul and Saul sent for him and so we have David and Saul having a conversation here in verse 32 David said to Saul let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine your servant will go and fight him in other words I'll do it I'm in Saul responds, verse 33, David replied, or Saul Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. I can't let you do that. You're too young, and this guy's been fighting for a long time. He will take you out, David. David pulls out his resume in verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. You might see David is bragging a little bit here, but let's keep reading. Look what he says in verse 36. Your, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, there's that word again, will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. There it is right there. Why does David want to take him on? Because he understands that God is with him. He understands that he has the power of God and he knows he's already taken out a lion and a bear, not in his own power, but because God has empowered him to do it. And it seems to be the one thing that you see here, he's offended because Goliath is defiling God. And he believes that the living God has the power over any sort of technology, any sort of um, size. He knows that God can help him. And look what he says in verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David says, if God can take care of a bear and a lion, he can take care of this man. Again, David is not going in arrogance. He is trusting that God will give him what he needs. God will take care of him. Okay, David, Saul says, give it a shot. God be with you. You're going to need it. And we're going to pause the story there today. And we're going to think for just a moment about the first part of this story. I I think, uh, without a spoiler alert, I think most of you know what's going to happen next week. But you'll need to come back to hear what's going on. But but let's think about the story here for just a moment. Let's think about ways in which it speaks to us today. No doubt David is stepping up to Goliath. And this is truly one of the original underdog stories. And this story is well known because everybody likes to see the underdog win, right? But there's more to this story For those of us who follow god david is not just an underdog that wins a battle he's a man who believes in the power of god and trusts that god will provide all that he needs he stands up to goliath because goliath is mocking the very name of god you know as we read earlier in the service david refers to god as his rock and redeemer He trusts God in a tremendous sort of way. And I think as we read this story, we need to ask ourselves the same question. Do we trust God in that same sort of way? What is it that we're facing? What challenge is ahead of us? In what ways might we be thinking, I don't know about this one, God. Would we be willing, like David, to call God our rock and our redeemer? Might we be willing to trust God like David? Another powerful psalm that we've read this morning is Psalm 23, verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's hold on to those words today. Let's not fear the evil around us, for God is with us. And like David facing Goliath, God can provide all that we need. Will we trust him? Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful for the story. We're grateful for the many dynamics that are a part of this story. But God, it seems to be David's trust in you that propels him into this situation. God, may we, like David, learn to trust you in whatever we're facing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.